You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good evening, everybody. It is so great to see you tonight. And isn't it great to know that God has come looking for every one of us when he came in Jesus Christ to this planet 2,000 years ago? Are you grateful for that? I'm very grateful that I've been found by him. And that's our hope for you tonight is that you will recognize God's love for you, his pursuit of you, and that you in return would pursue him and the promises that he has for your life. If you're a guest with us tonight or new to MCC, thanks for being here. And I ask that you join all of us every week in completing this Connect card because it lets us know that you're present and it also lets us know how we can connect with you and how we can encourage you and just pray with you about the things going on in your life. So please uh, do that tonight. And those of you joining us online, we're always, we're always grateful that you watch and that you are with us tonight. And so please let us know that you're there by commenting or going to our website and completing that connect card there. Well, tonight I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to put your cell phone aside. I know we've got Bible apps and stuff, but I want you to feel God's Word in your hand. I want you to find your place there towards the back of the Bible to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. I want you to grab an ink pen and you're going to want to write some things down tonight because we're talking about God's promises. God's promises to you and I. And you know, we claim, we claim a lot of things in Jesus' name that really aren't ours. But over the next few weeks, we're going to recognize what is. The promises that he's made to you and me, and more importantly, we're going to discover what it means to lean in, what our responsibility is when it comes to those very promises. You know, you can learn a lot about a person by the promises that they make and the promises that they keep. But you can learn even more about that person when you lean into those promises and you line your life with them. And that's what we see here in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, it's the beginning... It's the beginning of the third year of Jesus' ministry here on this planet. His disciples who've been with him, they've seen some amazing things. They've witnessed miracles like water turned into wine at a wedding. So some may not think that's a big deal, but it's a big deal when you can take just plain water and turn it into something that takes months, if not years, to occur naturally. It's a big deal when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, right? We've talked about that before. Keep your mother-in-laws away from Jesus, right? Because he'll extend their life, and we we don't want that to happen. (laughs) They've heard his teaching. They've seen his love for (laughs) for the most unlovable people. But now they're being sent out on their own. Now, if you've been here over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what it means to simplify our life. And we've looked at God's teaching on finances and relationships, his plan for raising children, finishing well. But we recognize this week that come tomorrow morning, right, 
It's one thing to hear his word, but it's another to lean into it and his promises to those who do. Well, in verse 7 here, Mark chapter 6, Jesus calls the 12 together, his 12 disciples, and he sends them out two by two. And before he sends them out, he gives them these instructions. He says, take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your wallets. Wear sandals, but don't pack a change of clothes. Now, this is my kind of guy, right? You don't, you don't have to change clothes. No matter how long you're going to be out, you don't need to take extra clothes, no extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, just shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Jesus covers everything. He covers the food. He covers the clothing. He covers the mission their wages, yet it all rests on the disciples' trust that he'll do what? That he'll actually provide these things. That they will do what he says to go off two by two on this amazing mission that in and of itself, just think, they're about to go into the world and cast demons out of people. Uh, anybody here know how to cast a demon? I, I, I don't know how. But they'd seen Jesus do it, and now he says, I want you to go out in my name, and I want you to do it. I want you to heal the sick, right? Jesus had taken a man whose hand was withered and brought it back to its fullness. And he says, I want you to do the same thing. Now, I would say the stress level had to be over the top for these guys. They'd seen Jesus do all of these things, and now it rested with them. Now I want to pause here because this is the whole premise behind this series because what Jesus is asking his first disciples to do here is not unlike what he's asking every one of his followers, every one of you in this room that set out to follow Jesus. It's not unlike what he's asking of us to do today. He's saying to them and he's saying to us today, will you trust me? Like when he says, turn the other cheek, right? He says, I tell you, but you turn the other cheek. D don't you return the blow that someone gives you to your cheek. That, that means today, don't jump on Facebook when somebody assaults you or what you stand for. Don't jump right back on there and assault them back. Trust me, he says. Instead, the instructions may seem a little odd when he says, you give first. Oh, I'll give af after you give me. No, you give first. And then he says, if you trust me, well, what's he say? With the measure you use, I'm going to give back to you, except mine's pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. Will you take him at his word and not throw the next punch? Will you give him first what he's asked? Tonight, the first promise comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It's the promise of provision. The Apostle Paul, who's experienced God's provision, says to the church in Philippi, and he says to you and I today, this promise is for every one of us. He says, my God, the one true God, will meet all your needs. All your needs. 
He doesn't give us a long list. He doesn't give us exclusions. He says he will meet all your needs according to what? According to his glorious riches in who? In Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples right here in Mark 6 as he sends them out that day. And this is what he wants to teach us as we face life today. That he will meet all our needs and the way he meets those needs is through the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 13 of Mark chapter 6, we go on to read. It says, they, the disciples, they did what Jesus said. They went out and preached that people should repent, that they would turn to God. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What an experience. Every fear that they had was, was removed that day as to whether they would be able to do what Jesus had instructed them to do or not. How did that happen? Because they leaned into the promise. They went with it. Verse 30 says that when they rejoined Jesus sometimes later, it says they gathered around him and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Jesus must have been so excited for those 12. Verse 31 says, because so many people were coming and going, they, the disciples, didn't even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus said, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, there's one important detail that I skipped over. You always got to be careful when the preacher's going through a passage and just picks a couple of verses, right? Make sure that he gives you the whole load. And so let, let's go back just a little bit. Actually, in the book of Matthew, you, you can mark this and look with me later because we're only going to be there for a second. But there's a detail that I left out. And Mark covers it there too in Mark chapter 6. While Jesus' disciples were there reporting the awesome news of what they experienced because they leaned into Jesus' promise to provide everything that they needed for what he had asked them to do. While they were celebrating that, John's disciples, do you remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist who was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth just six months or so before Jesus Christ was born to Mary and Joseph. Remember John the Baptist who was the forerunner? He was the one that according to Old Testament prophecy was to do what? To prepare the way for Jesus. He came. He came with a baptism of repentance, but when Jesus came on the scene, he said, I'm going to become less because Jesus Christ is going to become more. They, John's followers, had just gotten word that John had been beheaded. He had been murdered by King Herod for the stand that he took about his faith. And so while Jesus' disciples came excited and celebrating, John disciples, Matthew says, came and took John's body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. John's disciples came to Jesus wondering, where's God's provision right now? Where's God's promise to protect? John the Baptist. You see, in this amazing moment, Jesus is about to teach us an important lesson about God's promise to provide for us. But he's not going to do it in a sermon with words. He's going to do so in a way that is 
far more impactful. He's going to do it with his very life. He's going to do it with his love. And he's going to do it in the way that he grieved John the Baptist. Jesus himself grieved by what has happened to John, knowing his disciples are exhausted from their first mission. Excited, yes, but completely exhausted. They had not had a chance to eat, remember. Verse 31 says, he said, come with me. Let's find a quiet place where we can rest. And verse 32 simply says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And so here's the first thing that I want you to capture about the way God meets all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that is Jesus meets us in our need. Just like Noah sang tonight, Noah, what an outstanding job, right? I, I was right there in the words, weren't you? Celebrating the reality that Jesus Christ came. He pursued me. I wonder sometimes why Sarah even pursued me. But the God of the universe... Jesus Christ, she's saying, I don't know why either. I've spent the last 18 years trying to answer that question. But Jesus, he meets us right there in our need. Friends, there are times when words don't help, right? There are times when friends can't fix it. But Jesus can Jesus, he understands what fear and fatigue, what disappointment and discouragement look like. He knows the heartbreak that comes from worrying and distressing about protection and provision, care in the everyday that can eat away at us. He understands the pain when it seems that God's not keeping his end or there is nowhere around. He knows what it is to lose a friend or, or when the unexpected leaves you with a bill bigger, bigger than two months of income, right? Over top of your head. And in that moment, God is saying, stick with me, right? That's what he's saying when he's saying, come away with me. It's just me and you right now. I'm right here with you. Let's go over here. And I want you to spend some time with me. I want you to be still, as the psalmist wrote, and I want you to recognize who it is that you're in this boat with. Jesus meets us in our need. All four gospel accounts make it a point to talk about this retreat with Jesus because his promise to provide matters. Well, as we go on reading in verse 33, as Jesus and the disciples sail for that remote place, verse 33 says, it happens every time. The crowd that had been watching all of this go on. The crowd, they run along the shoreline. And they're just beating it to the next place where you can pull a boat safely in. And verse 33 says that when they got to the shoreline, Jesus and disciples, verse 34, when they landed the boat, it says the crowd was already there. And when Jesus saw the large crowd, he said, go on home. We're tired. Now it says he had compassion on them too. He doesn't just see a tired crowd, but he sees them as sheep, Mark says. Sheep that also needed something from him. They needed a shepherd. And so for now, 
For now, he sits with the crowd. He begins to teach and fill that need in their soul. It says the disciples were astonished. Now, there's a word for you. Astonished. The disciples were amazed. They were amazed so much so that what Jesus was doing made an impression on them. Have you had that moment? When what Jesus has done in a situation in your life has made an impression on you, you remember it. You remember that time. Can, can you go back there in your mind to the last time? Now, some people want to live in that experience all of their life. You and I, we don't get that opportunity every day. And it wasn't every day the disciples had this opportunity. But this opportunity says that they were amazed. They were astonished. Maybe for you, it was at a time of loss in your life. And God provided comfort in that moment. Now, that moment may have escaped you afterwards. But in that moment, he provided comfort that was beyond words. Maybe it was a time when you persevered. When everything said to give up or to, to go back. But you said, no, I'm going to keep going. And he provided for your need at just the last minute. Have you noticed that? That he doesn't always give us things up front. But just like he told the disciples, I want you to go first and watch how I'll provide. You don't need to pack a bag. I'll take care of all of those things. Maybe it was the kindness of somebody. Maybe it was the kindness of someone who used to be, used to be so impatient before encountering Christ themselves. And now you see in them a kindness that flows so freely. But disciples haven't experienced the half of it yet. Every gospel writer tells us what happens next. It's the only miracle apart, of the, apart from the resurrection that's covered by all four Gospels. In verse 35, Mark tells us that it was getting late. The disciples come to Jesus. Now, remember, they started out earlier in the day. And Jesus said, come on, let's go off to ourselves. You need some rest. I need some rest. I'm grieving John the Baptist's death. They get in the boat. They go some distance down, and now they're faced with another crowd of people before their needs are met. Jesus is right there meeting the needs of these thousands of people. Mark says it's getting late. The disciples come to Jesus. They say in verse 35, this is a remote place. I, I love it how they say the obvious. I I'm surprised Jesus didn't say, duh, right? This is a remote place. It's getting really late, Jesus. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages before the McDonald's closes, right? Let them go and buy themselves something to eat. Yes, Jesus meets us in our need. Yes, he promises his provision in every way, but I want you to notice what he's about to do. He asked them to do something, and he asked you and I to do something as well. It's part of the process. Jesus asks us to go with what he tells us to do. He asks us to go with it, not to fight it, not to come up with excuses why not to, because we know that the list is, is a hand, arm length long. But he asks us to go with what he asks us to do, because with every promise of God, you and I have a responsibility. And in this case, what's the disciple's responsibility? He says in verse 36, you. 
You give them some. He wasn't being sarcastic. He's asking them, will you hold on to the promise that I just demonstrated to you when I sent you out days before? He said, I told you, you don't have to take nothing with you. Well, why do you feel like you have to have it all right now? You go. Remember, we have to go first. And he says, you go, you go and give them something to eat. Well, John tells us, another gospel writer, that it was Philip who said, there's not enough. Uh, there's no way there's enough. Not even with a year's salary could we buy enough bread for each person here to have even a little bit to eat. It's as if Philip is saying to the Lord, you don't have any clue. You don't really understand what's needed here. And sometimes we say the same, the same thing. He, he just, he's up there. And I'm down here. He wants me to be happy, surely. He doesn't want me to spend the rest of my life dealing with this situation, surely. We've all had those moments, at least I have, when I'm so overwhelmed by what I don't have instead of by what Christ has given me. I want you to think about that for a minute. How often are we overwhelmed by what we feel like we don't have? instead of being overwhelmed by what we do have right there within our reach. Last Sunday afternoon, Sarah shared a picture with me of a serviceman standing with a prosthetic on each leg, not just one, but on both legs. And the caption said this, people ask me, how I stay so positive after losing my legs. And he said, I simply ask how they can stay so negative with theirs. And it grabbed me. And it should reach out and speak to every one of us. Why is it that we're so consumed by what we feel like we, we don't have when God has given us so much? John records that it was Andrew, Peter's brother, who encounters a little boy in the crowd. He encounters a little boy who had been to Long John Silver's just before he came to see Jesus. He's got the two-piece fish and more. The more is the five barley loaves of bread. I think they had coleslaw too, but, but Mark doesn't mention anything about the coleslaw. He must not have liked it, and especially the hush puppies. They're the best. But Andrew says, here's a boy... Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Six years ago, I sat in one of our widow's homes. It was the month after we had shared a series on debt-free living. Some of you remember that. I know we've got a family in the crowd who has lived that way for a number of years. Every time we talk about this subject, he's so kind, and he sends me a message like, I believe this. I wish other people would believe this and take this. And, and so we'd been preaching this series, and it was about that time we'd been in ministry here 12 years, and over those 12 years, the hallways had gotten filled with kids, right? We didn't have any to start with. They were sitting on the floor, our offices. We had given up our offices to make more room in here. The adult Sunday school classrooms were given up so the kids had a room that they could meet in. 
in our church, just like today. Over half of us in the church, do you realize that over half of the people sitting around you didn't grow up in church? They haven't been in church all of their life. More than likely, they've been at Memphis maybe for a few weeks, some, maybe a few months, maybe a few years. And so living debt-free, which includes giving the first tenth to God, that's a big deal. That's a big change. Because how do all of us live these days? We live spending as much as we make, plus a little bit more, what we hope to make next year. And so you see the problem, don't you? We're out of space. I've just given this message about how we should live debt-free, and then... I'm the spokesperson that has to come up in front of the church family and say, well, we need to add more space. And the space is going to be $1.3 million. And we can't really go to the bank now that I just finished this sermon on living debt free and go in debt as a church. I mean, that kind of, kind of goes against what we just talked about. I was called just a few days later to this widow's home and I'm she took me out on her back porch. That she's got the neatest, neatest house. And we went out through the sunroom and, and we sat outside in this little nook between this part of her house and this part of the house. And it's my favorite place about her house, looking out at the garden. And we're sitting there and she says, uh, she says, $1.3 million. You, you really think we don't need to get a loan from the bank? I, I mean, this is a church that if you watch the little box, you know, in the bulletin every week, and it says the weekly need back then was like $4,000, and the weekly giving was like $3,200, right? We really going to do this? And I said, I, I really think that's what God's calling us to do. He, he's calling us to trust him. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he says he'll provide. And she said, oh, that explains something. She said, that explains why he told me that all of the money that I've saved all of my life since I was a girl, she doesn't have children, her husband's gone, all the money that I've saved, he told me that I need to give it to start this project. It was somewhere around $400,000. Jesus already knew what he was going to do long before he sends the disciples back out again to gather bread and fish. And what I want you to understand is that God already has a plan to keep his promise to provide in your life and in mine. He's already got it. It's just a matter of whether we're willing to take that first step. John records that it was, that it was Andrew's brother, counters this boy with a two-piece field. Here's the little boy, he says. And in verse 41, it says, Jesus reaches for these five rolls, these two fish sticks. And it says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks. Well, that's strange. I, I would think that would take more than a thank you. I think it would be like, Lord, I mean, we've been there on Wednesday night, haven't we, when we've, when we've cooked for... Uh, 80 people who signed up and then we have 150 show up and we're, we're dishing out the macaroni and cheese and we're down the last spoon and what do we do? We start saying, oh Lord, Lord, 
multiply the macaroni and cheese, right? I, we do it jokingly. But, but you would have thought, you would have thought that, that Jesus would at least pray this extravagant prayer. Oh, Lord, you've already provided for us from age to age. You've taken care of your people. Now, Lord, take these two fish and turn them into 5,000 fishes, right? He should have had somebody come forward with those two fishes and, and made a big deal about it. Maybe even have them pass out right into the arms of a couple catchers that are right there. No. It says that he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he did the same with the two fish. Verse 42 says that when all the people had eaten as much as they wanted, the disciples gathered up everything that was left over in 12 baskets. In other words, there were leftovers. And we could make a whole analogy about the leftovers, but here's what I want you to consider. What I want you to consider tonight is how many times there's 5,000 men, which means there was more than likely 5,000 women and probably 5,000 or more children there. So 15,000 people. But let's just stick with 5,000. Let's not stretch it into something that maybe it's not. 5,000 people, two fish, five loaves. <clears throat> now how many times did it take those 12 to come back to Jesus and get more as they were passing it out? See, I always thought maybe it just kept, kept appearing in the pan as they were passing it out. But I think, having lived a little bit now, that they had to go back to Jesus time after time after time to get more. And every time that they went to him, just like every time that we go to him He's reminding us of the promise and it becomes more real that Jesus can supply more than we will ever need. He can supply more than we will ever need. But friends, he does it moment by moment as we look to him to provide. And what's my proof of this? What am I basing this on? Well, it goes all the way back to the beginning to God's chosen nation when he carried them for 40 years through the desert. And what did he do? Every day he provided bread for them. Every day. He didn't want them to collect it all in one day for a month. He wanted them just like I go to Walmart every day. I got to depend on Walmart every day. He wanted them to come to him every day for the bread that they needed. Because he wanted us to learn that we don't live just by earthly bread. We live by God and by his promises, by his word. In his gospel, John gives us the detail of what Jesus said to the crowd earlier that evening before the fish miracle. You see, every miracle has a purpose. And the purpose here wasn't to put Long John Silver's out of business. The purpose here is found in John chapter 6, verse 35, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What a promise. But here it gets more. 
He concludes with these words, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now let me ask you, when Jesus said this to the crowd, do you think that they believed him? Do you think that they believed him when he said that you who come to me, you'll always be filled you who believe in me, when your time on this earth is finished, you'll be raised up just like I was raised up when I came out of that grave. Do you think the crowd believed him? Well, maybe not at first, but after leaning into this promise that he would provide for all of their needs and seeing him provide for their needs that day with these two fish and these five loaves of bread, I think they did believe him. See, there are so many lessons contained in this one miracle, but it's the message that matters most. And that is Jesus' promise to provide isn't only for our immediate needs, but for our ultimate need of life in him. And only Jesus can provide for that need, the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life with God. Verse 45 says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Boy, they spent a lot of time getting out of boats. He made them get into the boat, go ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus, he's thinking of these guys. You know, that's the thing about big events, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody's got to always stay and clean up. You guys do so good at that, but it always comes down to one or two of us. Bigelow's usually the last. He's the youngest. But somebody's always at the end, hours later, after all the party's done, after everybody's had their fill, there's always somebody cleaning up. And here, here it's not the disciples. Remember, Jesus had just taken them away earlier that day because he knew they needed rest. <laughs> Jesus needed rest. He needed to grieve but yet here was a crowd that saw him and needed him. Now it's the end of the day. His disciples needed him. And so he stays and he, and he finishes out the night while he puts them on a boat to the next stop. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's in this promise that you and I today, it's in this promise that you and I, we see a need and so we meet it because God sees all of our needs and he meets those. That's the promise that Paul's reminding us of. We give like the little boy on the mountainside, like the disciples who went out two by two and God in his grace and glory gives out of his limitless supply. Don't be consumed by what you don't have. Instead, instead, be overwhelmed and bring what you do have to Jesus and let him do what only he can do with it. The most important of which is to save your soul. <laughs> the most important of which is to save your soul and transform your life. That's the invitation tonight. God's provision his promise to provide. Will you, 
Will you come and surrender your life to his provision and daily care? Will you, not will someone else, but will you, will you surrender to him today in baptism for the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals you for all eternity with him? Will you come to him tonight and say, I've already surrendered my life, but, but God, I need the provision of the church that you've provided, that, that I can grow with someone, that I can be encouraged, that I can be an encouragement to someone, that I can cut my teeth on these promises, Lord, and the, the requirements that you have of me so that I can live in these promises. Will you bring me into this family? And he says, yes, you're, you're, you're always welcome in my family. And so maybe tonight the invitation is, is for you that you want to come and you want to be part of this family. Or maybe, maybe tonight you need to give thanks that God provides for all of our needs. You need to acknowledge that again in your life. And you need to take your next step to do what he's commanded. What it is that you've been holding back on. What it is that you've been putting off until a better time. Whatever it is, I hope that you'll lean tonight into his promise, that you'll let him provide for you according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll be up front. Some of the other guys are here. Come, we'd love to talk to you about your next step. Let's stand together and let's sing.